When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Explorers, welcome back to the Starship Lorecast, to Starfield Lorecast, whatever we want to call it. Maybe we should just change the name of the Starship Lorecast. We keep saying that. Uh, I'm Tom. This is Dave. We're your co-pilots. Dave, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. It's going good. I, I'm I'm really I'm really digging it. I'm, I'm feeling like the this Starship Lorecast could really you know colonize some places. You know what I'm talking about, Tom. Oh yeah, because we're talking about a colony ship. Oh, are we? Oh, yeah. So that's a different thought. We'll we'll pass by it. We'll move on. <laughs> my my, like our ship. You can look at the interiors of our ships if you look up the videos for this podcast on the Robots Radio YouTube channel, and you can see that each of our respective rooms on the ship are decorated a lot like maybe our own homes would be decorated if we live didn't live on the ship, but we do. Yeah, we do. This is called it's it's what we call artificial comfort. Right, right. So it doesn't look like a spaceship, but it actually is. We're really on a spaceship, believe us. Um, but anyway, speaking of spaceships, we talked about grav drives. We've talked about what happened to Earth. And in all of the events that unfurl, if that's the right word, uh, a few right. hundred years before the events of Starfield, we have uh, another thing that's worth checking out. And it's colony ships, because... We didn't have grav drives until a very specific period of time where all of a sudden we did due to the events we discussed on the previous episode. But we do know that at least one colony ship exists and we have some information about it. So we thought we would go over that on today's episode and talk about what we do know about colony ships, how this one works, where we run into it in the game. So, of course, spoilers if you haven't come across the uh, colony ship yet in the game and on the second half of the show, we're going to go over some of the things that we don't know yet that we really think would be cool to find out about in the future. So so stick around for that. But Dave, where do we start off with this? What is the colony ship that we meet in the game? So the colony ship that we meet in the game is the ECS uh, constant. And when you jump into the uh, planet, which Paradiso is located, um, you just see a ship that's kind of like floating out there, but then the the planet, the colony on the planet, sends you a message and they're like, "Hey, you need to check out this weird ship. We don't know what's going on. You need to help us with this." Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and you can't hail them. You try to hail them and you don't get a response. So right. your initial thought is like, "Is this abandoned? What's going on here?" And so you dock with the ship and you find out that in fact this is not an abandoned ship. This is. A piece of history this is a 200 year old vessel that's just floating outside of paradiso and they can't 
communicate. For some reason, their communication is ancient technology that's not working anymore, which doesn't seem to make any sense to me, but I feel like it's necessary for telling this story. Now, I guess you could say maybe it broke down. I don't think that's actually what they say. They actually say it's like old technology and somehow it just doesn't work with the other ships, right. which is weird because you think you'd send radio signals out at least and be able to receive those. But Well, like in Europe, they've um, uh, made the laws of qualifications for uh, what charging devices. Everything's going to be USB-C from here on out. So if you're walking in there with a smaller or different kind of cord, like they're going to look at you like, well, why the hell would you have that? So I think it's like a... Uh, you know, female and male adapters when it comes to, you know, a lot of that communications technology and, and um, a, a lot of the actual material of the ship. Right, right. So this ship is called the ECS Constant. So Earth Colony Ship. So ECS means Earth Colony Ship. So if you ever come across any other ECSs in this game in the future and expansions, you know that that's a colony ship. And this one's called the Constant. There is a 17th century English colony ship called the Constant. Now, it was either called the Susan Constant or the Sarah Constant. But history is a little unsure about which of those names was actually authentic. Uh, But it makes sense because back in the day, ships had women's names. And, you know, you, you called them her. She's my mm-hmm. my ship, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. there is some uh, some history behind that name. Now, when does this, what what goes on with this ship? Like who's behind this? Right. So um, there's this guy named Rupert Brackenridge. Um, he was a, a great thinker back in his time in the early 2100s on Earth. And uh, he found out and kind of like it came up with this plan that the uh, earth would become uninhabitable pretty much in 50 years. So he got everybody together that he could, you know, made his little company and then created the, um, this colony ship. Um, yeah. Filled it to- up with uh, a, a wealthy elites, intellectuals, artists, scientists, and other people. So this feels like a like who's who, like a smorgasbord of like, oh, these are important, intelligent, interesting people. Let's put them all on the same ship. It's pretty much Corpo Noah's Ark, like at this yeah, point. Like, right. <laughs> that's the, oh, we're going to have the giraffes and the elephants. It's like, well, we're going to have a geologist and we're going to have maybe like a political analyst and maybe we'll have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I would imagine that they have the staff on board to create their own food. Obviously, whatever group they put together in here works out because it's 190 years later when we run into them from the date they launched. And supposedly mm-hmm. they were planning that the trip would take about 200 years. Years. They shaved in 10 years off of that, so they maybe 5% more efficient than they expected. And uh, when they get to their location, they have not run into any other humans or anybody at all in their travels at all. So when they meet you, you are the first person they've met. And they've also learned that like the planet they're on, Paradiso, has people on it. So they know that other people are out there. Uh, But they didn't expect this because they were within 10 years of the development of the grav drive, but it didn't happen yet. And then by the time that 10 years goes by, they're way outside of Earth, you know, way past being able to communicate with with Earth anymore. And they don't know that that technology exists. So they're like, wait, are are there were there already people out here? Is that are humans that ubiquitous in the universe or what happened? Um Dave, do you feel like if you were on a ship for almost 200 years, or at least you, your, your family, generations of your family were on a ship for 200 years, that you would be surprised to run into other people when you get somewhere? Um, yeah, especially like 
if you were going to tell me that I was going to be this great settler and that my family would live for 200 years in this ship and we would recolonize, um, you know, this planet in a far, far away place. And then I show up and then people have already done that and they have better stuff than us. And like, it's like a hundred percent civilized. I would, I'd be kind of like worried and mad at the same time, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a big sacrifice because you're, you're putting yourself and a very specific group of people on a ship for generations. And uh, according to what we know about this, everybody had assigned roles. It wasn't like, you know, you, you graduate from high school and you decide, oh, OK, I'm going to go do this for a living or maybe I'll try this for a little while and I'll do something else later. Everybody had this very specific role from the beginning. And many of those roles were passed down through families. So, for example, the captain is Captain Brackenridge. She is the descendant of many generations of Brackenridges who have all been captain of the ship. So it's almost like a feudal system on this yeah. on this craft do you think that would work i mean it seems it clearly seems to have worked in this scenario but that doesn't feel like the best way to get the best people for each job <laughs> you know yeah i mean i mean that's true but when you look at you know think about the american colonies and um uh, what skills like parents would teach their kids um you know the blacksmith would generally teach their son how to smith the black yeah the guild um, system right right like you it, grow it, up as part of a family and part in a, in a guild and then you learn those things and you pass them on to your kids and, and whatever right and then it, like so the but there's always the the problem of you know the, the blacksmith raises the son and then the son wants to be a pirate and right. then meets i just want the, to sing father sing right. <laughs> nope not here yeah like exactly the whole, so the like the, the, yeah I, there could be some of that like that could be like an internal an internal dream um uh, what, what's a good what's a good word for that when you're struggling with like coming to terms with your dreams like i think that's like yeah i don't know i bet the germans have a word for that they have words cultural for disassociation maybe i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe um yeah but like that's basically the way this works is that everybody had a specific role they did mm -hmm. their role they mm -hmm. passed on that knowledge to their children. Their children took on that role once they were no longer able to do it. And this mm -hmm. worked for 190 years. That's 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 nuts. Now, the other thing here is that they've kept the ship working for that long. 190 year old craft. I mean, think about even something not nearly as complex as a spaceship. Could you keep your car running for 190 years? Could you keep mm -hmm. a wooden vessel running for 190 years on the ocean that would be very difficult especially when you can't go to port anywhere in order to fix things you gotta you gotta fix the bus while it's driving down the road you know like right a, a good example is look at homes like the, the homes that are older than 100 years like that that takes work and they are few and far between when it comes to you know when you think about 100 years ago that's what 1923 like in, in america like the especially with subdivisions and how they've popped up and how a lot of stuff's popped up like that takes work things have changed you've got to like think about how many times they've had to change like plumbing yeah right right the, the way the plumbing works and i'm sure there's right. technology on the ship that like anybody in the current day starfield universe would look at and go oh man yeah we don't use that anymore and there's reasons 
<laughs> because right. they just didn't know. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the way the ship works. It's passed down. We're not going to go through all the details of the quest line. You have the opportunity to try to help them out. And both decisions have their difficulties. Uh, but here, let's talk about the layout of the ship. You have sure. a few different like there's a few different levels of the ship. It's a very large vessel. The first thing I'm going to point out is what we're used to from ship design in Starfield is the NASA punk thing. This idea of these modules that get pieced together. So you have something that's somewhere between looking like a like a space station and a ship from fantasy that looks like all one thing that was crafted together. It's somewhere in between those two things. When it comes to this ship, though, the constant, if you look at the design of it, looks like it was one ship that was all manufactured together in one design. You don't see a modular system built in. It, 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 in fact, it looks like a very long kind of extended ship, kind of aerodynamic. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot what most people would more typically consider to be starship the way starships would look rather than the whole NASA punk thing. So you have that. And then there's multiple levels. So there's uh, the maintenance level of the ship, which has docking in a cargo bay, has a medical bay. And and I thought this was interesting, a mausoleum, the, a place where they entomb their dead and respect and honor the things that their ancestors did along this journey, which I thought was, you know, actually very, very cool. Uh, and then a hydroponics garden, because you would need a way to create, you know, food for the population that lives there. Uh, speaking of the population, we don't know the number of people on the ship, the total number of people. Like you walk across the ship and you run across lots of people. There are a few dozen people it feels like you can meet while just wandering around. But we don't know the actual numbers on that. Um, and then there's the command level. You want to go over the command level, Dave? Oh, yeah. Uh, the command level um, essentially has the uh, the command bay and the captain's office and quarters, engineering room and a classroom. So all of this like um, like science, all of the like major high functioning stuff that's going on with the ship as far as you know, coordinating this this destination, making sure the ship's running correctly and all the navigation stuff is kind of stored up there right and And a single classroom which leads me to believe that i mean how many students can you fit in one single classroom not that many so the whole total population of the ship must be fairly small right and and i don't know if you you caught this but a lot of them have um have these uniforms that they're wearing um and and it looks it's silly it reminded me a lot of um star trek like where everybody has their like color-coded uniforms for what they're doing, what they are like, it all has that like ECS, like logo print and everything. The security people have their own uniforms for everything. Like it's all very, um, job based. Yeah. It's very almost like, like there's like a, a communal aspect to it. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I just thought that was interesting from when you first meet them and see them, I'm like, Oh, what is this? Like, are these guys like, like Star Trek (laughs) Federation? Like what are, what are these guys? That was my, that was my first thought. I was like, Oh, these guys are just like a space Federation that's out here. Oh, that's a fun callback, but it turned out to be something very different. Yeah. But it makes sense because when it comes to Star Trek, everybody has their role on the ship. Everybody has their rank. It is a military operation that has some civilians on the ship, but everybody is designated. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their roles and their jobs, and it's all very clear, very delineated. And that makes a lot of sense for this as well. Uh, Then there's the residential level, which has a mess hall, living quarters for the crew and colonists. Not every colonist is, I guess, designated a crew member like a captain or whatever. Some people 
are just colonists and they have other jobs. I'm sure they're doing like someone's got to cut everybody's hair. Somebody's got to fix people's clothes when they wear out or whatever. Right. Right. And then uh, a records room, a meeting room and a security office with an armory and a brig. Which makes sense because a ship like this traveling for almost 200 years, if somebody messes up, does something wrong, you got to throw them in the brig. I don't know. Maybe eventually you space some people along the way, too. I I don't know. But that doesn't make sense. Now, Dave, one of the things you and I were discussing when we were getting into this episode and the concept of this is how this feels very much like a fallout vault. You know what? We've done our dance. We've danced around the elephant long enough. And let's talk about that, because this is totally a fallout vault. This is 2AT, a fallout vault. There is a room where you take the goat. Come on. <laughs> There's a classroom. Yeah. Do you think they have the equivalent of the goat on, on the ship? They got to. They <laughs> got to. Somebody's, as you said, somebody's got to be the hairdresser. That's got to be the thing that's happening. Yeah. They all have these yeah. color coded uniforms and they're walking around like, oh, we have all this weird old technology. I don't know. I'm afraid of everyone outside of the ship. I'm like, guys, listen, <laughs> we've been here. We've done this before. I'm familiar with you. This is an alternate universe of the future where vaults never happened, but we accidentally created one anyway. <laughs> the vaults are in the sky, man. The vaults are in the sky. Well, it, I mean, it really does tie into Fallout. If For those of you who are only a little bit familiar with Fallout lore, one of the predominant theories for a while that has been confirmed by some of the original game designers is that the vaults were all tests for different kinds of things they'd have to learn about in order to create colony ships to the stars. So the fact that this is a colony ship that's dealing with all of these kinds of things is exactly what the vaults were testing for. Uh, And this colony ship meets some of that criteria. It has a very specific social stratification. It Mm -hmm. doesn't work like the real world. It has to work slightly different in order for the colony ship to work. It has to maintain technology for a long time, including whatever energy source we have here. That's another thing, Dave. We don't know what energy source this uses. It's probably some sort of uh, fusion generator, some sort of uh, nuclear generator of some sort, something like that. Something like that. Right. But this, I mean, they're not powering grab drives with helium three, so they must have had something on board in order to power a ship for 200 years. Uh, But if you go back to Fallout, you find out that nuclear generators and things like that work pretty well for long periods of time. So there are some similarities there. Yeah. The... Even like the layout of of like where like the center area is, which is where you have that um hang garden hydroponics area, like where everything is kind of like based around this atrium, uh, that felt very vaulty to me. Of like, hey, you know, the lower bays are for like storage, and then you get your residential area, and then as you climb up, it's like, okay, here's the mess hall, and then the upper areas, it's like, okay, well, here's your captain slash overseer's area. Like the layout is all centered around that atrium, and so like, if you're like me and you you are you know allergic to taking a, a pathway and you just want to zoom around with your little jet pack like your freaking mando <laughs> carrying a baby yoda then you're going through that atrium and you're jumping up to different places and i mean same thing if you're mutated all up in fallout and you want to just like blast off you're not taking walkways you're flying around the atrium to get to different things in the vault so yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was interesting from like a layout perspective that it was 
it, it felt familiar in that sense of somebody that's been to I've been to many vaults, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I believe it, it. I believe it. Felt familiar. Uh, so, all right. So that's those are the details that we do know about the colony sheep. Notice there's there's a lot of questions still about this. So we're going to take a break. We're going to go thank our patrons and we're going to come back. And I have a series of questions that we can speculate about because we all know that Dave and I have are really good at speculating. <laughs> we're the best. We're hitting 100, 100 percent speculation score so far. Everything we speculated came true, which isn't true, but it is true. Uh, all right. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons, including our newest patrons. We have two new patrons, Andrew W. and Judson. Welcome to the Patreon. We are currently up to 16, 16 current patrons. Thank you for your support. Yeah, that's great. Everybody's showing up for the show, including our Space Lords. These are our highest tier patrons currently uh, who... Get shout outs every week. Commander Marcus Shepard and Worst Action Hero, thank you for your support as well. And uh, if you're interested in joining us, getting ad free episodes, getting some really cool T-shirts and stickers that we've got only for patrons. The only way to get them is on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash Starfield Lorecast. Also, a reminder, if you are a space pirate or higher tier patron, then you can join us for our end of the month patron chat episode, which is coming up in two weeks on the 30th, the last Monday of the month. So uh, you've still got time to sign up and join us for that. And we can talk about whatever everybody votes that they want to want to talk about this. Those episodes are focused on our patrons and what they want to discuss. So uh, come join us for that. Also, Dave, we got another review that came in this week. Oh, yeah. Check this out. This is from Billy Villainy. Or I'm sorry. I missed I misread that. I already read it earlier and I, I totally goofed it. Billy Vanilli 76 classic throwback to the fake artists of the late 80s i believe early 90s uh millie vanilli i don't know if some people are gonna be like i have no idea what you're talking about uh anyway billy vanilli says best starfield companion podcast yo love the show i binged the first five post-launch episodes in one day totally relatable from the highs to those uh moments of these past few weeks getting to know the starfield universes in parentheses it's geeky fun, but the cool kind. Really enjoying it more now that you're digging into the lore. Just a thought. End each episode with... Let me know what you think about this one, Dave. All right. Catch a smile out there. Ha! Got it. Let <laughs> <laughs> it go away. I'll see you later, everybody. Catch a smile out there. We're not actually ending the show. I'm just trying it out. Catch a smile out there. 
All right, we'll, maybe, maybe we'll try it out. We'll see how that works. Uh, thank you for taking the time to leave the review. Those of you who leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read out your words on a future episode. Plus, you can rate the show on Spotify or whatever other podcast you're listening to this on. And if you have friends or family that are playing Starfield, we'd love a recommendation. It's a wonderful way to help the show continue growing and, and all of that stuff. We couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. All right, Dave, I've got some questions I'm going to pitch you, and I want to hear your thoughts on some of this stuff. So... Here we go. (laughs) Rosticus in chat says, I'm old enough to get that reference. Now I have the sad. Oh, (laughs) oh, that's sad. All right. So here's a list of questions that I came up while researching for this episode. First of all, I'm going to throw these out there, Dave. You're going to respond. Maybe I'll respond back. Uh, First of all, was this the only colony ship? What do you think? Uh, this uh, like there's gotta be, there's gotta be more, right? It's just one person does it, and and everybody's does everybody look at them like they're crazy? Clearly, like some really intelligent, highly wealthy people are looking at them like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. So yeah, but like I guess the other piece of it is, and and this would this connects to the next question: How did Rupert Brackenridge? deduce that earth was going to go through some sort of extinction event in the next 50 years. It seems like global warming had been solved by this point. We know that people who have a sense of what's coming in the future, like on our previous episode, were visited by Starborn. Is he the kind of person who had a situation where he met a Starborn and the Starborn said like, this is chances are this is where Earth is going. You got to do something about it. But then wouldn't they also say just wait ten more years and we'll have grav drives? That's a that's a good question. Of like, you know, did he have that? Did he have? Was he touched by the stars? Um, <laughs> was he a starborn? Like, did he have some some of the same visions that um, Victor Aza did? Yeah, but then wouldn't he know that grav drives would be a potential thing? And so, hey, don't rush. Just wait another what if, decade. What if Rupert Brackenridge, and this is a pitch, was really stupid in one universe and just managed upon, like, Fool's Journey managed upon these artifacts and was like, hey, man, I don't know anything about grav drives. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I don't know how to build them. I don't know anything is. I do know, I do know Earth's going to die in 50 years. I remember that from school. So uh, take that piece of information (laughs) and you just uh, rock it on with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about this. Let's just go with it. I'm going to put a lot of money into a ship. Everybody got on board. Let's go. Um, But like we know that this was a very specific individual bringing very specific people onto one colony ship. We don't get any other information. It's not like they're like, oh, our sister ships out there somewhere. Keep an eye out for them. Like, right. We don't get any information like that. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that other colony ships couldn't have taken off. And maybe we'll get other DLC in the future that have something to do with that. Maybe maybe they went in a slightly different direction. And as we continue to explore other stars, we get to a place where they've already settled a planet and they still think they're the only people out there. Um, A lot of that stuff could happen. So uh, I I don't know that we know one way or the other, but I wouldn't be surprised if we came across another colony ship. No, and I'm curious as how, you know, how that will build and if if we could like in future TLC, because we always and some of it's bugged, it's bugged for my current profile right now, but you can actually keep a tracker on the ECS constant. 
um, and can just like go visit them as they're like, it, it'll like update you on their location. You'll go and you're like, Hey, do you like this plan? And they're like, no, we're just window shopping, man. We're just like going through. So like you can keep in contact That's with great. them, um, uh, as you've, you go through the quests and everything, yeah. but um, they'll just, you know, if you pick a certain option, a certain believe, option where they continue um, moving on, they don't settle where they continue moving on. Right. But, but that leads me to believe of like, you know, they would be able to, to go to all these places. So why not, you know, another colony ship? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there's potential for that. Um, I brought this up earlier. What did they use for fuel? Like there is no solar sail. Like if, if you study anything about potential travel on colony ships, one option is a solar sail. It would be like a large object that works kind of like a sail for the wind, but instead it catches the energy from the sun in order to gain propulsion out of the solar system and then would use some other propulsion or just continue through momentum. Maybe once it's out of the gravity well of the solar system out into space towards whatever the next destination is, they don't seem to have a solar sail. Uh, I'm guessing it's some sort of nuclear reactor. It's got to be. And and even like y- you could say, oh, well, like they have so many systems running on that ship. Like they could do the bur- the initial burst, you know, if you're thinking like the expanse, we're going to do an initial burst. We're going to rocket ourselves. Like, yeah, you can do that yeah. propulsion forward and that'll keep it a constant as long as you don't interfere with anything gravity wise. Um, right. It's not know, like there's wind resistance out in the in the open universe like right yeah so in, in a vacuum you, you know you you if you move yourself forward you're gonna an object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by another force there you go that's some physics for you yeah take that haters yeah we're all educated <laughs> up here uh boreal in chat brings up another point that i wanted to i had the same thought boreal that uh once they get moving they can slingshot from the gravity of other planets so for example sending them out towards jupiter or saturn and then getting close to the planet and then slingshotting back out um we already use that when sending certain types of probes and satellites and things like that into other uh, other planets out further in the galaxy or the solar system at least um so that that is an option so and like you said once they're up to speed maybe they just coasted the rest of the way that could be a thing as well uh here's another question how exactly did they maintain the ship for nearly 200 years 190 years on a vessel this complex how does that work I I don't know. Like things must have just gone right for them, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like if something breaks, I'm I'm assuming you have a lot of redundancy built into the ship. You have a lot of extra components for things when they break down. You manufacture things in a way where similar parts can be used on different things when they break down. Right. You also just and get then, really lucky along the way. That's my thought. And like they like. In a small community and that kind of stuff, like you're going to have troubles, you're going to have, you know, interpersonal disputes. But I mean, if you have, if you've accounted for risk, um, then really, you know, generationally, you should be fine. Like there should be the status quo. People did that during the dark ages. Like it, it was pretty much the status quo for like 200 years. So like even from that, like high technology perspective, if you have that redundancy, like communities would be able to stay together. Yeah. So let's talk communities, because I've got some questions about the social structure, the population, things like that. And I did I say social structure. Uh, I'm turning into Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Uh, I'll take the rapist for 500. (laughs) Anal bum cover for a thousand. Uh, (laughs) What effect did the rigid social structure 
have on this group of people because we know that they are you're in a family you do a job you do that job there's no changing you do your thing which clearly is going to catapult certain families to higher level of social status obviously the captain is going to be at the top of that that order right the captain probably right. their word is probably law but if you're a doctor you're going to be much more respected than the person cutting people's hair. And then you're like, this is a caste system, basically. And there are still places in the world where caste systems exist. And it's very difficult for the people on the lowest tiers of the caste system because you have there's no way to get out in many cases. Right. That's the that's the part that I wish that, that Bethesda really had a commentary on when it comes to this class, because like the, the commentary is, is effectively like, Oh, like how we perceive time and, and advancement is so different, especially when people are put in a bubble, like, and even stuff that seems advanced to us right now is like a child's play to people, you know, 300 years after that. So th- that's the point that they're getting across in this quest, but not necessarily the, you know, I feel like that they've made this point before is, you know, what is, um, what's the like implications of that feudal cast, uh, you know, uh, communist system that they have in the game and, and what could be, you know, Oh, we're going to go up to the quest where we're going to try to convince them that they need to go work for this um, resort. Is there somebody on the ship that could say, Oh, well, I don't like the current system. So yeah, working for 10 years and then getting off and then I can go do whatever I want. Sounds great because I don't really want the system. So I'm going to try to improve my place by doing that. Like there, there's room for depth in that, that that I don't think, I don't think it was like the full, I don't think they're missing it, but I, I don't think it was like seen to its fullest realization. But if you want that, if you go to fallout pretty much <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah i would assume that like if you're the janitor class then hey 10 more years working for Pierdiso, and then maybe i can go do something else sounds like a good option but if you are one of the top people in the social hierarchy that's an issue and even if you travel to another location and settle another planet how long do those social does that social strata stay in place once you're no longer on a ship i think that that creates a really interesting what if right um now speaking about the population i already talked about how we don't know the total population it can't seem to be that that large one of the things that happens one of the things that scientists speculate about is that evolution and changes to species happen most uh more frequently or faster during evolutionary bottlenecks so this is where you have a large population and then some portion of that population gets reduced and stays within just that portion of the population for a significant period of time and long enough and in a situation that's different enough from the original environment that that population begins to show traits that are different. Certain traits stand out because a majority of people in that population happen to have that trait or certain mutations start to flourish because it helps people in an environment different from the original environment they were in. So, uh, but the other thing that can happen here is that diseases also take different paths. Certain diseases just get weeded out because they aren't in that population or other diseases can be passed on. And then you even have the, the problem of things like, uh, you know, inbreeding, like if there isn't enough genetic diversity among even that population over 200 years. So my question is, what do we do? They suffer any of this or do we just see like phenotypical similarities? That means like because most of the people on the ship have brown hair 
and that is a dominant trait and there are very few people with any non-dominant traits then all of a sudden over 200 years basically everybody's brown haired you know that kind of thing um do you have any thoughts and on you that would kind of you would kind of have to like arrange marriages in that in that aspect because you don't want to like you don't the interpersonal like relationships of the community i mean you don't want to you're stuck on that ship you don't want to inbreed like you don't want to say okay well you know four generations down the line and you know two second cousins got together and then the first cousins got together after that and then right. like because you go down yeah. and then you get me i'm dave from west virginia <laughs> is that your uh, is that your genetic history dave that's my genetic history yes this is my west virginia life um the like that that's a that's a real thing that you would have to consider i would say from a colony ship perspective of like you know who is um uh, you know reproductively like viable a viable a viable right, option exactly. for you to be like all right well you know it's been four generations five generations now all right son it's time for you to take a wife but you can't pick from the joneses or the cunninghams or you know like those are all the families you can't choose from because we share too much genetic similarity with them you got to marry this guy over here or whatever like and then you've got a control birth rate on the ship and that's yeah. the other thing because you have a limited amount of resources and there's only enough capacity for you know a certain a certain amount of individuals within the ship so it, it it's like floating between the feudal system floating between like kind of like a communist system like from like a you know textbook definition of society yeah um, that's what it's kind of is to me that's what it, it appears to be um, but everything very based on the job. Right. All right. So one final question here. Clearly, after 190 years, not everybody's going to behave well. But everyone, when we get there, seems to kind of fall in place. They all have their jobs. Like, it doesn't seem like they're having any issues. Nobody's, like, being rowdy and whatever. They have a brig on the ship, right? Do you think that that was the extent of punishment or... Did they space people along the way? Like, did somebody out outright start a revolt and then they were just like, all right, you're, you know, out the airlock with you, pff, gone. I would imagine in order to maintain a certain level of like social peace that extreme troublemakers probably weren't kept on the ship after a certain point. <laughs> If I could pitch a second quest involving a colony ship, it would be murder mystery on a colony ship because you're coming in there. It's the first murder on the ship. And they're like, we don't know what to do. We need somebody who's an outside observer because we all know each other too well. We've spent generations in here together. We're having trouble figuring out who we need to like go in a corner and to spend five minutes in heaven with. <laughs> let's get, let's get, it makes more sense for them to be like, oh, here's a bum off the street from like some weird place from this advanced culture yeah come in here be the detective make the judgment like that's to me the pitch for the yeah, quest of yeah. what i'd like to see from a colony ship or i mean the other option is a failed colony ship you get to the ship and everybody's dead and it's like one of those dungeons in fallout where you only have the context clues of the situation to find out what happened mm-hmm and then you make your way through the ship. Maybe there's some like robots and things you fight because they're still operational. They're protecting the ship from an outsider or whatever. But as you get through, you find the different bodies and you can find out that like this place went through a rebellion. It had the same kind of rules, the same kind of structure. Maybe they were even based off of this colony ship itself. And they're like, oh, well, that's a good idea. Let's do another one. And it didn't work. 
that would mm. be really cool you know and everybody's dead or maybe there's like one guy left alive who's now insane because he's been on the ship for the last 30 years or something like just like losing his mind by himself right exactly I mean, that would be the kind of thing that would show up at New Atlantis, like for, for all that guy's luck. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to go to Jimison, this unknown planet, yeah, and start a new life. Right. And then he gets there and it's been there for maybe like hundreds of years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that raises another question. I hadn't, I kind of thought about this a little bit. I didn't write it in our, in our notes, but uh, Paradiso, the planet Paradiso is a very nice planet. Right. It's owned by one corporation who has one location on an entire planet. And yet they can't justify allowing someone else to settle on like the other side of the entire freaking planet. Like that's huge. That's a little crazy. They explain it a bit during the the quest line. So I'm not going to I'm not going to push that too much. But also, if this planet was so good and it was the location that this colony ship was headed for, then why did they settle on Jemison for New Atlantis? Why not head here first? I don't know. They seem like they they have really big eyes and and and, and appetites for um, real estate, but not exactly the stomach for it. You know what I mean? Like even when you think about like Jemison and New Atlantis, like you've got the city, but outside of that, it's like here's a beautiful rainforest, right? Or here's right. like you know, it's just open land, plains. It's an entire right. planet, even if it's roughly the size of Earth. That's a lot of space. Somebody could. And here's the other thing. Somebody could probably just land somewhere on the other side of the planet, never, ever be noticed for like a decade. I mean, I guess you, people can scan the, I have the technology to scan the planet and that kind of thing. Right. But even and then, a small enough, a small enough group of people could live there for a while without. And you run into a different quest um, where I, I forgot the exact name of it, but you're going through and you have essentially uh, all of these families that are settlers and they all live on different planets and they only communicate via these satellites every so often, just in case there's a problem in their, you know, solar system or whatever that they have, but like spacers have moved in, but they're so entrenched it like they've done it so like slowly over time of just like making settlements, having a space station that they've never noticed them because they just live in their farm on their planet. Right. And like, Right. That's the, that's their planet. That they're making stuff on and they're not worried about what's going on, on the other side of the planet. They're only worried about their farm. So when there becomes a force that's so big, then they're like, OK, well, I guess we got to get everybody together. But they're so entrenched already because the solar system's so big. Yeah. Yeah. It's a large, expansive space. And I get, you know, some of this stuff is just storytelling. There's reasons for working it into a story because otherwise it's difficult to have a story. But, you know, it makes me wonder why not? Like, are we going to yeah. find other places like that where like, oh, this colony just is on the other side of Jemison. Nobody knew that it was there, you know, right. or or what if what if there are tribes of people who decide that they're going to go, you know, renounce technology and they're going to live very simply with the kinds of things they can make in their own little homestead and their own farms. And they, I'm sure there are people out there in the galaxy that are not flying around on spaceships and they don't they probably don't even have like a digital signature to scan and notice and if they're living in like a forested area it's as difficult for, you know for anybody to find them as, as it is for us to find like lost tribes in the amazon or something you know like they could just be out there places and nobody ever really knows or deals with them right you know we're so connected here on on our earthly perspective our small earthly perspective we're all so connected they like to get off the grid like you really can't unless you go to somewhere that's like like you go to the desert 
where like nobody lives, you could be off the grid, but you're also going to be dead in like three days if you don't get any water or you can go to like <laughs> sure. way up in the Yukon territory. And then you're just like bear man living in a cave. Yeah. Like, to, to get actually off the grid, it's rather hard. But f- from this perspective of, the, you know, the universe and these, you know, the, the field of stars, um, it, it's pretty easy to me yeah. to just. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we see we grid. see homesteaders and people like that trying to do that right. sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, that's going to wrap it up for colony ships. That's everything we know about colony ships. But that's not to say that we won't learn more with future expansions and other things coming in Starfield in the future. Uh, we'll be back next week with we got one more lore episode before our patron chat. So, um, Dave, maybe we'll talk uh, some of the settlements or maybe the founding of new atlantis something like that in the future um i think i think next week we've already kind of got an idea if you remember correctly i don't we're gonna be getting a little <laughs> bit spooky oh because it's spooktober it's spooktober um we're gonna begin a little bit spooky and maybe talking about a particular kind of alien that's a real nasty piece of work nice that's true all right well get ready for that Dave. you have anything else going on you want to share before we head out uh, yeah, we just finished up our uh, Rad Rules uh, Starfield one-shot. So uh, if you like Starfield, if you like actual play RPGs, you can go over to Rad Rules. We're on YouTube and podcast services. Give it a listen. Uh, it was a fun six-episode. Easy to get into, easy to get out of. Um, you know, no, um, no colony ships, just derelict ships and a bunch of idiots. So... <laughs> Nice. Par for the course for Starfield. Nice. Go check out Dave's show. You can check out my shows, robotsradio.net. If you are into other Bethesda games, the Fallout Lorecast, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast are both shows that I do and currently still do. And uh, the Lord of the Rings Lorecast and the Mass Effect Lorecast. Come check all that stuff out. Thank you for being here. Chat, thank you for joining us on the live stream. Live streams at twitch.tv slash robotsradio. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful week. And uh, as we're supposed to say, based on our new review, catch a smile out there. We'll see you next time. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this show. Did you know that parodies are copyright protected? Tell a friend and review on iTunes or other services. Dave and Tom excited for Starfield. Let's all speculate and wear no shoes. Hey, why aren't we wearing any shoes? Because shoes rhymes with iTunes and that's the best I could think of. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.